Welcome all back to Brubble, a podcast exploring young voices from in and around the Brussels bubble. One bubble we've certainly seen expand in the past few years has been the topic of artificial intelligence. While AI was traditionally known as part of science fiction, in the past few years we've been seeing a plethora of real-life impacts from the use and widespread expansion of AI. And this leads us up to April 2021, when the European Commission tabled the Artificial Intelligence Act, and, it's, and we're currently reaching the critical days for this act. So, what is AI, why are we regulating it, and what are the issues that are currently holding up or causing some problems with this act? And, as we're delving into the AI today, we're joined by a particularly intelligent but decidedly not artificial guest, Patrick. Tell <laughs> how are you, Patrick, today? Yeah, I had to laugh at this intro, but yeah, thank you very much for having me, Simon. I'm doing uh, very well, thanks. Yeah, so tell me a bit about why you're in Brussels and why you're in AI, because it, it's a really interesting question, and there's a lot more of you AI people out here than I expect. Yeah, sure. So I'll start by saying I do policy, AI policy at the Centre for Data Innovation. We're a global tech think tank. Uh, My interest really sparked a couple of years ago. I mean, I've been in this responsible tech space, so mostly Mm -hmm. helping platforms design themselves uh, in a way that's best for users. And some of this obviously concerns how they use AI, especially against spam. So I became interested in artificial intelligence there. Regarding how platforms run, there was a big uh, bill that went through Parliament this year. So that kind of policy area sunset a little bit for me, and I just want to dive back into the AI field. So the Artificial Intelligence Act going through the EU now, as you might know, is a significant piece of legislation, and it's uh, yeah, an exciting space to be working in. Yeah. I think one of the most annoying things about working in AI is it's one of those fields where if you mention to anybody who's not in the field, they're instantly like supervillain computers, supervillain computers. How do you, Is that the reaction you typically get, and how do you deal with that? <laughs> yes, it is. I will say that the people in the EU bubble have, they're all kind of AI nerds, really. I mean, they have taken time to, to educate themselves about this issue. So, mm-hmm. yeah, from the outside, it's all uh, AI overlords, but from the inside, people do know the, uh, <laughs> the niche technical side of it, too. Yeah, yeah. And it has been a bit of a field that's been really expanding lately. And I think that's part of the exciting part of it. And it doesn't look like it's slowing down, right? Because you'll have work for a few years to come, right? <laughs> no, I thought it was a good investment. No, <laughs> AI policy is definitely here to stay. So it was it was a great thing to, to get into. But I think it's one of the misconceptions that it's sort of this uh, emergent issue and uh, yeah, in the next couple of years, we're going to see it finally arrive. I mean, it's already here. It's, it's yeah. in here in your day to day. So... I, mean, I don't know how you start your day, but if you're using sort of a sleep monitor to go to bed, maybe you wake up, you you check the weather. This is all AI powered. Google Maps, Spotify. I'd love their Discover Weekly. This is all AI. So, yeah, it's definitely it's already here. It's already arrived. Um, we're probably using a sound system now that's moderating our voice somehow. That's probably so. true, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the exciting thing. It's already here. It's just going to get better. So uh, that's the, that's why some of the risks are also emerging. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting parts for me is that. We were so focused on like the horrendous like world conquering AI in the past, but it's just kind of slipped subconscious into our lives. It's kind of you know crawled into there of all the social media stuff and everything. But I kind of want to draw back to what AI is because I know there's a few people who are like, oh, I know artificial intelligence, computers do the thinking for me. But I kind of want to transition this full podcast about explaining first what AI is, why legislation for it exists or is going to exist. And what that legislation is, so in particular, the AI Act, which you know Mm. all about, I hope. So to kind of start this off, Patrick, can you give me a short definition, two sentences max, I'm going to challenge you. What is AI, artificial intelligence? Maybe I could do less. AI is any machine-based system that acts in a way we typically attribute to human or animal intelligence. So perceiving, rationalizing, and acting. 
So what does that mean, I guess, for, I mean, you mentioned to me, my Spotify is monitored by AI, my, you know, my, my waking and sleeping is monitored by AI, but how has AI really taken over our lives in the last few years? Yeah, it's so, I mean, first, I should say, uh, the definition goes back quite far. Um, I mean, you could even say mechanical calculators in the 1700s were, would have been considered sort of intelligent at the time. And there's a really good quote by uh, John McCarthy, who uh, sort of a godfather in computer science. He says, as soon as it works, it's no longer considered AI. So that tells you how quickly sort of that definition is, is moving. We kind of thought that, you know, computers achieved it, then the bar was moved to sort of chess playing AI, and now it's these sort of general purpose systems. So that's just to say that the definition is constantly um, changing, and what it means today is really machine learning, and you can say even a subset of that is, is deep learning. So I mean, most of the problems when you hear policymakers talk about it, this AI, it's really the last 10 years of machine learning, which is powered by the accessibility of data um, that occurred because of Web 2.0, basically. <laughs> we basically gave everybody user-generated content, millions of photos get uploaded online, and powers this new wave of AI. So it's interesting. So you're saying with the digital age, we had so much more data to give. They're just using artificial learning to sift through that data and make that into actionable insights, in a sense. Yeah, so machine learning is just AI systems that are getting better through data. So, uh, yeah, in the last 10 years, giving all of this data was able to, to fuel all of these cool innovations we see now. Most of the visible advances in AI are just advances in machine learning. Mm. And, I mean, I think we all know, but this goes bad sometimes, right? Are there any examples you could give of where this sometimes goes wrong? Well, one of the more known ways that AI can uh, misfire is it reproduces, recreates uh, existing biases in society and in individual mm -hmm. human beings. So this can happen in the kind of recruitment, uh, law enforcement, policing, but uh, the other big way that AI has misfired is, is when governments use it to uh, in public services, so uh, debt management systems or, as I said, policing before. So the, one of the most dramatic ways it went wrong uh, recently was with the Dutch government. They were using yeah. an AI system to give out child benefits and yeah, huge scandals because if you get it, get AI wrong at scale, it's sort of half a million people that get affected. So Yeah, and I think it's always quite insane because, I mean, as a Dutch citizen, I know something about this, but most people internationally don't realize it collapsed the government. <laughs> like, it caused the government to resign in disgrace because <laughs> of an AI error, in a sense. Or, not error, but Yes, oversight. I mean, as, as you also know, the Prime Minister managed to, to cling on, though. But yeah, the whole, gov <laughs> the whole government resigned, which is uh, pretty significant. Something similar happened in Australia. They, they, uh, they called it the robo uh, robo debt situation, and yeah, they survived. So I mean, what you really need in a lot of these cases, in addition to maybe some form of uh, regulation, is just better accountability mechanisms. In almost all of these uh, cases, there was a lot of negligence and recklessness with the use of AI. Yeah, but I think what we want to focus on today is a bit of that regulatory method. And why is regulation emerging nowadays? Why is today to time. Why wasn't it 10 years ago? Why isn't it 10 years in the future? Yeah, good good question. I mean, some would say there's no good time for regulation, but um, with regards to AI, you know, the EU has seen um, some of these, these harms, the way it can exacerbate mistakes, for example. Um, and there's a feeling in Brussels, there was uh, two big pieces of tech legislation this year, and there was a feeling that they came a little bit too late. So, the EU want to make sure they get in early with AI, and, you know, you could say it's too early, maybe, but uh, they just want to make sure that, in, in addition to all the benefits of innovation, and indeed they think that legislation will will bring more if you provide the correct legal certainty, mm -hmm. they want to prevent the harm as well. So uh, that's why the AI Act is here. Yeah, no, because it's interesting, because 
One of the revelations that I've had working at a tech company, and I think I'm allowed to say this, is one of our big talking points whenever we talk with policymakers is we need this regulation to guide what we do too. We, we need to know what's acceptable and we need to know that guidance laying out for us when we develop our, you know, our systems and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that's what good regulation should be, I suppose. Uh, even for smaller small actors that maybe can't afford compliance officers, it's especially important to have sort of clear rules in place. Yeah, and I, I think one of the nice things with the AI Act we're going to get to is I think it does touch a lot upon those small actors because, I mean, you need to be able to, I mean, if somebody's using data, we all can use data and we all need to, be able to use it responsibly. So, Yes, yeah. it does. There are uh, various ways it tries to help uh, SMEs. I suppose if, if you're going to be, uh, some cynical critics might say, well, that's because all of these smaller companies are European. Um, <laughs> well, well. <laughs> You said it, not me. So <laughs> I had to because, uh, but yeah, no. That's I think it's it's about making a balanced uh, regulation. We, mm. we can get onto the details here, but it, they they do try and make it uh, risk based. So uh, yeah. par- partially for that reason. Well, I guess you said let's go into the details. And I mean, we're doing pretty well at the time. I, I like how we nailed down AI in like ten minutes flat, <laughs> which is which is an accomplishment in itself. So, uh, but uh, what does the AI Act do? What is the AI Act? Yeah, so the AI Act is a uh, risk-based uh, proposal, and it tries to. It's, it's a horizontal proposal, which means just means it's across multiple uh, sectors. And when I say it's risk-based, it doesn't treat all use cases the same. So there are certain uh, uses of AI that it will consider unacceptable risk and will prohibit. So these include social scoring. The, the China example might come to your mind. Uh, real-time biometric surveillance, so like facial recognition in public and uh, subliminal uh, manipulation, which is a bit more of a a slippery concept. And then there's a second tier um, of use cases that will be highly regulated. There will be conformity assessments, transparency requirements, and monitoring afterwards. And these include uses in law enforcement, policing, recruitment, uh, critical infrastructure, safety products, and employment, education, uh, things like this. So these are considered, you know, as most of the cases we've spoken about, of where AI has misfired, it's in these kind of uh, these domains. So this is what, what, part of the motivation why they've been given this sort of highly regulated, um, yeah, why the regulation targets them, let's say. And then there's sort of just low-risk uh, use cases, which you think are less controversial, but they provide some interesting uh, dilemmas. So they're, they're just things like uh, using AI in chatbots and in uh, deepfakes. Yeah. And one of the requirements is like a disclosure requirement. So you have to say when you're using it. Which, Ooh. yeah, I've spoken to someone from the gaming industry and they're like, well, that's just not going to, it might ruin the immersion a little bit. And, you know, I'm not sure we really needed uh, to have a disclosure before watching The Irishman to know that De Niro wasn't uh, a 30-year-old man. But, yeah. but yes, it's all about creating more transparency is, is one of the underlying themes. So. Mm. so if I'm understanding right, it's it's basically kind of like a pyramid in a sense where if it's acceptable, if it's unacceptable risk where it's like these really, I guess, society-changing usages, uh, which are, like, uncontrollable in a sense. They get axed. You can't use them. Mm-hmm. And then there's different categories which have different requirements of transparency, oversight, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's precisely the, the goal of the commission when they when they propose this legislation. They, they wanted this to be um, kind of proportional. Mm-hmm. One of the problems, though, is that even within the category of the high-risk use cases, some of those domains don't have the same risk profiles. And mm-hmm. just what I mean by that is... Yeah, I mean, a tool that could be used to uh, in a self-driving car or something might have a different risk profile than um, a government service that, that gives out welfare, for example. And they're treated exactly the same under the, under the regulation. Another challenge is, is because the definition covers a wide range of AI systems, 
so really simple systems are kind of treated the same way as like a deep neural net or something. So um, this doesn't seem totally proportional, but um, yeah, that's that's that was yeah. the goal. So we've established what the AI Act is very briefly, which again, good job. I'm, I'm loving it how we're getting through this. But uh, <laughs> what does that mean for consumers and tech companies um, and their relationship? Or should we first handle the consumers part? Yeah, let's uh, let's try to do both. I mean, it, at the moment, there's so much uh, still to play for in the legislative conversation. So what will impact it will have on consumers is still yet to be seen. I mean, mm. especially because a lot of the debate is, is around the scope. So the impact is completely dependent on that. Uh, but I mean, in the best case scenario, we see a world where AI products can flourish in Europe and they can benefit EU consumers. The worst case scenario is where yeah, providers don't feel safe or they are prohibited uh, cost-wise from bringing products to the EU market. And that is, that is something we, we want to avoid. Mm. So, I mean, given your, your own role, I guess, more as an independent, I guess, not think tank, but, you know, non-governmental organization just helping create transparency, what do you think of the AI Act, if I can ask your opinion of it? Yeah, look, I think any moves to provide legal clarity and get ahead of the curve, um, it, we, we do welcome that. We think it's great. There are certain aspects mm -hmm. of the AI Act, too, that we think are really pro-innovation. For example, the, regulate, uh, the regulatory sandboxes, which we might touch on later. Um, but I do think it, it does ultimately fail in its risk-based approach, which, which is, well, I say it, it fails. I mean, the, the Parliament and the Council, uh, they're going in the right direction, trying to change the scope. Mm -hmm. um, so if they get that right, if they manage to, you know, not end up regulating an Excel sheet the same way they might do uh, sort of uh, DeepMind's latest product, then I think that would be, that'd be great. Mm. And this is just a table proposal at this, this point in time, but it has yet to be voted upon and turned to policy. Do you anticipate it changing much? And I know it's been changing quite a bit in the last few months during the mm -hmm. legislative process, but do you see any other change that could actually change the key structure of the act coming forward? Well, uh, yeah, I do think there's plenty of room. So, um, yeah, I think the council will provoke, uh, have their final opinion, um, the final position, sorry, by the end of the year. Parliament will publish their final report in, in February. So it's a very busy six months. There's so many issues mm -hmm. uh, still to work through. So it's hard to say there's going to be any big change in, in approach. I think it will try to be a risk-based approach. Um, one of the interesting ideas I've heard from one of the people working on this bill is to, instead of trying to define what AI is, because as I said before, this is difficult to do and it's so yeah. important because it determines the entire scope of the act. So rather than trying to define what AI is, you define what is high risk. Mm -hmm. uh, because the high risk category is, is really causing a lot of the problems. And if you define what high risk is, if you manage to do that, I'm not saying we, we have a solution yet. Uh, then that solves a lot of the debate around around um, this act. So that could be one significant change that I know is being worked on, but yeah, it's yet to be seen. We'll see, I suppose, yeah. One final question I had to the act, but more to, I guess, future-oriented policymaking in general, is how do we as people involved in the policy process predict the future? Because an act like this is not meant to govern what exists now, but govern what will be in years to come. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, this really speaks to, yeah, add to the list of problems with the definition of AI in the AI Act. It doesn't cover some systems that um, that will exist in the very near future. I mean, something like generative art, which is a really mm. cool thing that's come about in the last yeah. couple of years, this wasn't here when the AI Act was being drafted. So <laughs> I'm not saying that's created particularly novel problems yet, but um, yeah, it, it just says it, it's very hard to nail down future or emerging tech like this. So it's really important that you 
you keep the you keep the bill a little bit. Of, uh, I don't say vague, but you allow some sort of room for interpretation to uh, to uh, capture future technology. Yeah, some precedent you put in there, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've said a lot of I guess pretty good things about the AI Act. I feel like we're overall positive, despite you using the word fail, which which seems a bit harsh. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. But we did want to talk a bit about some of the issues, which are more of the, you know, the niche in the field kind of issues, which mm-hmm. somebody like you, you wrap your head around. I've had about 20 minutes to look at these, so I'm no expert. So you're, you're giving me and the listeners a bit of a masterclass on this. But together, we nailed down four or so key things that you were pretty excited about in the AI Act, but you also really wanted to see it being addressed in some sense. It needed to be changed somehow. There's some issues with that causing some tension. And the first one of that, we've talked about it before, is the definition of AI. And I know the, the AI Act has a pretty crisp definition of AI as it is. What's wrong with that? Why don't you like that? Well, the <laughs> definition of AI as it is, is, it comes from the OECD definition, well, it's inspired by, in part, the OECD definition. Um, mm-hmm. But there's two problems with that. I mean, firstly, it, we're not trying to define what AI is. We're trying to define what we want to regulate. That's kind mm-hmm. of the way this is going to work. Um, so the second problem is the the definition like lists uh, the a bunch of techniques that will be captured by this bill. So, you know, logic and knowledge based systems, um, Bayesian estimation, statistical methods, machine learning, and even the way it's devised it. I mean, it doesn't acknowledge that most of these systems are now also machine learning systems, etc. So, um, I think having this uh, listing a bunch of techniques really puts you in a box because you 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 capture things that probably shouldn't be there, and you you fail to capture um, things that are just around the corner. Um, so I think we shouldn't be um, trying to decide what AI is as a, as a concept. It has to be a legal instrument. Mm. And if I, if you think about most of the challenges with AI systems, it's it's really people are referring to machine learning. So it'd be tempting to make the definition a bit more geared towards machine learning and decide what are the novel risks there. And if you get that definition uh, down, then that, that determines the scope of the AI Act overall. Mm. Um, I, most people you speak to now would agree the definition should be uh, shortened. So maybe you remove the techniques um, that kind of limits it a little bit. Um, uh, other people think it should be even even broader. So uh, yeah, I would say it's moving in the right direction uh, the, in regards to the definition. But yeah, we'll have to see. Like, let's say we don't get this definition right, or let's say we, we didn't do it as well as we have so far, or mm-hmm. however it's presented. What kind of impact does that have on the consumer? Yeah, well, it means that there might be uh, some uh, products that won't be able to come to, uh, to market, let's say. So, I mean, the definition at the moment, well, f- firstly, one of the problems with the definition, especially uh, if you look at some of the requirements, is there are some systems that well, they'll kind of fall outside, outside of, um, well, if I, if I use one example of, if you're looking at a deep neural net, for example, yeah. uh, this might have requirements in the bill for, I'm thinking about the transparency requirements that are impossible yeah. because of this system. So uh, if, there, if there's not an acknowledgement of the difference uh, between various, if, the, if all the various AI systems come under uh, one definition, yeah, I think it creates problems like that where some will be outlawed, some maybe should be um, given higher requirements and are not. So that all comes back to the consumer, I think, at the end of the day. So it's mainly a, a method of filtering what falls under the AI Act, what is even up for consideration for being put into these categories of high risk, acceptable risk, low risk. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Um, and then I guess that's the basic problem. I mean, as a, as a philosophy major myself, I know how to argue about definitions for days. So. And yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't even, one of the things that's come late into this uh, debate is is general purpose AI mm. and 
Um, and there's, yeah, the, that that wasn't considered in the, in the main scope, and it's it's arguably going to be um, the most consequential for consumers, um, and it, it wasn't in the main scope. So, when you do try and keep a very narrow uh, definition like that, I say narrow in terms of being specific to the techniques uh, that creates problems. I mean, on the topic of general purpose AI, that was one of the other four subtopics we wanted to get to. Just and, seen the segue. What is a general purpose AI? Because <laughs> it seems when I was researching this really vaguely, it seemed pretty self-explanatory. Is mm. that is that true? Well, yes. I, I imagine one definition would just be uh, it's an AI system with with more than well, it's not that it has more than one purpose. Sometimes it just isn't designed to have a purpose. So. Um, if I think about Google's image recognition system, mm-hmm. this was just designed to yeah, recognize images, but it could be used to, uh, if an app could license the, the technology to recognize plants, somebody else could do it to, to in, in a gaming um, uh, domain. And these general purpose systems are really expensive to build, so there's kind of not that many providers. I mean, you know, Microsoft has a few, Meta will have a few, Google, yeah. um, they're, they're really powerful systems, that I think, you know, upwards of a billion dollars to, to design. But then they have hundreds of companies that are licensing them. So the GPA, the general purpose AI debate is quite interesting because what happens when uh, a company uses Google's general purpose AI system and it, something goes wrong? They, yeah. you know, they, they fail the obligations of the bill. Is that under the current, under the original wording of the AI Act, that would be uh, Google's responsibility. Mm. Now, look, we're not going to uh, shed a tear for these really, uh, really rich well, uh, com- well, well, companies. as an employee, but <laughs> go on. But, but it is a genuine problem because then you know, if you might not want to su- supply a market like the EU, mm-hmm. if you're if you're uh, liable for all of these hundreds of companies that are using your AI system. So these uh, general purpose AI systems, yeah, they bring forth this novel issue. Just I won't go through the legislative de- de- debate uh, month by month, but this <laughs> went, this went back and forth, and so recent proposals is now sort of included in the scope general purpose, and now there's the debate about well whose responsibility along the value chain is it between the developer and the um, I, I'm hesitating to call the use it's called users in the in the bill, but it's quite a confusing term to use in this context. So yeah. I'll say like the the companies who are who are licensing it. Let's say yeah. So it's kind of like these small developers can't create their own huge AI system to power things. Mm-hmm. So they let others use theirs and but who's responsible for how to use it? It's kind of like when you rent a car from somebody, right? Yeah, and I mean, a, a bit like the definition as well, um, there is some consensus here. I mean, everybody agrees that if the person who, who rents the system then goes on to change it dramatically, yeah. and then it, and something, then you misuse it, well then that should be the responsibility of the person who, the, the company who, who changed it dramatically. No, no one's arguing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, the problem is, well, what, what does it mean to change it significantly? Yeah. Uh, and then also there's, you know, because they, 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 they cannot have um, all of the responsibility because some of the requirements, you know, you need like the initial data sets and things like this, and the companies who rent the system will never have those. So the big companies will have to have some responsibility in that value chain, and it's just working out um, at which yeah. requirements should belong to which actors. Um, it does get even more confusing because there, there are also <laughs> scenarios where there are multiple providers and, and multiple yeah. users, so it's difficult. So suppose, really quickly, if you whip out your crystal ball, your AI-powered crystal ball, where will this end up? Do you have any predictions on if this will be resolved in the final text? Yeah, I think there will just be distributed responsibilities. Mm. Um, one other cool idea I would just throw out there, uh, <laughs> throwing my crystal ball all over the floor. Um, one other idea is, is you know, the provider will say, look, th- these are the intended purposes. We don't, we don't know what you're going to use it for, but we say, look, these are the 10 ways we foresee that yeah. our system might be used. 
And if if the user then uses it outside of those uh, purposes, they then become fully responsible for it. So that's something that, uh, yeah, that could work. Yeah, no, that I, I like the sound of that, I suppose, but just personally speaking. <laughs> well, there's two other ones that we're going to talk about. One is black boxes and one is sandboxes. Which one do you want to do <laughs> first? Boxes, yeah. <laughs> well, I think black boxes is... Uh, pretty unfortunate terminology um mm-hmm. this already invokes kind of image of past in people's minds because for me when i hear black boxes i think of the planes with the little black box for when they yeah. crash and, uh, and it has nothing to do with ai so. well, i think of uh, i think growing up in the uk we have uh, like insurance on your car and if you got mm-hmm. if you had a black box like you could get it could be a little bit cheaper but you, you had no idea ironically <laughs> of how it was working um but it just monitors your speed and then gives you an insurance yeah. premium based upon all, all of that um yeah, so where do we start? I mean, do you want... Well, from what I understand, it relates back to the, terms, the two terms of explainability versus interoperability in, in AI systems. Ah, yes. And should we nail down what those two are first yeah. and then explain what a black box is? That would make sense. I think uh, perhaps you mean interpretability. Uh, uh, My yes. apologies. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that would be uh, quite a hard conceptual jump otherwise. Um, but no, so <laughs> explainability and interpretability. Now, I, sh- I should say these are often... Uh, use interchangeably even in computer science mm-hmm. um, but from yeah from what I understand of of uh, the concepts in the field interpretability is when you understand in an AI system how all of the features and their weightings are producing an output so for really simple like decision trees which is basically like a, a flow chart you can see the percent you can see the, the weights of each of the uh, options and then the outcomes you can see how, where so they came basically from. you know exactly what goes in and exactly what comes out and how that travels yeah how that travels is the is the important part there. perfect uh then explainability is just a way of the system communicating the out the output to mm. um to the person using it so this doesn't have. This is quite vague, and I'll, tell, I'll come on to why it has to be vague in a moment. Uh, but this, it can just represent graphically, like roughly, how important inputs are. So, if I take the example of insurance again, you know, you might see that if you run what's called an explainer algorithm over the top of the system, it's a, it can produce um, a bar chart almost and say how important. You know, if you're a man, it's this important. If you're under twenty-one, it's yeah. it's this important. There is how the premium was calculated. So, um, yeah, that's the difference in between the two. And the reason it's so important is because for some systems, so if you have a bunch of decision trees, like you know thousands working together, it becomes so, it's called a random forest method, a random forest ensemble method. And it becomes so uh, complicated that you no longer can work out any longer why the uh, inputs are determining the output. So interpretability is impossible. This is now mm-hmm. an impossible requirement for these systems, including not just random forests, but also uh, convolutional neural networks. So they're dealing with so much data in a sense that they don't even show the process for each individual output, just the outputs that are relevant. Yeah, it's it's a lot of data, but also just the randomness. Like mm. the, <laughs> the probabilities just get uh, pretty crazy pretty quickly. So, that's, so they're no longer interpretable. Now, it's, it's arguably fine because the explainable AI movement is, is coming on leaps and bounds. And they're providing ways to, to make these systems as transparent as they can be by providing these explanations. Uh, it's not perfect. The, the, the provider still chooses which algorithm to use, and they actually produce different out, mm-hmm. different outputs, which is uh, not ideal. Um, but I think ideally one day the standards will get there, and we'll recognize which uh, which explainer algorithms work best for which uh, yeah. AI systems. But it's it's well the reason we're so concerned about transparency and you know the explainability of AI is because if something goes wrong, if there's biases, you can't mm. really trace to where it happened. Right. I think that's the 
the yes. base the base issue which policymakers well, are concerned with. One of the yeah, biases, yes, but we, that's that. Sometimes we know that is because of the yeah. data. It's also it's more when it's involved in decision making. Mm. So if you're giving out a bank loan and you have no idea why True. that decision was made, yeah, you know you'd prefer to have a really simple system that everybody knows how it works. Yeah. The problem with uh, the AI Act is that there are so many. Uh, so much capture here that it's it, that even benign cases that use really complicated systems will f- so we'll have to try and manage with these transparency requirements. I mean, if I, if I take two examples, I mean, your weather forecasting, and this will mm-hmm. be uh, this will be under a high risk uh, use case according to the AI Act, weather forecasting and also um, extreme weather event prevention. These all use deep learning now, so this is all using uninterpretable systems. Uh, it's necessarily it's necess- it has to be uninterpretable almost to be so accurate. Like this, yeah. it's kind of a trade off in, in in the industry. There's a bit of debate around that, but generally speaking, the most powerful systems are uninterpretable. So, yeah, maybe you, it, for some scenarios you, you would want a fully transparent system, but for other scenarios you'd kind of prefer the accuracy. Mm-hmm. In those two examples I gave. But also in medical diagnostics, I mean, would you rather have yeah. a system that's eighty percent accurate, but you know how it works, or one that's ninety nine percent accurate? Uh, mm-hmm. I think I prefer the ninety nine percent accurate. Uh, I mean, that's, that's your liver you're worrying about. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so where do black boxes fit in here? Because we haven't mentioned that yet, even though yes, we started on that. Sorry. So, uh, yeah, I was trying to move away from the terminology, but I should have explained the the connection. So, uh, black box a black box system is just an uninterpretable system. Mm. So, um, yeah, the, the, the neural nets of the world, the, ra- the random forest uh, use cases. The, so, yeah, when the system is uninterpretable, that's, it's called colloquially a black box system. Yeah, it kind of makes sense when you think about it that way because it's just a void is what I think of. It just goes into yes, a void and it comes out. But from a policy <laughs> communication perspective, uh, it's just uh, you're, you're fighting against the definition, uh, yeah. <laughs> the image of a black box mostly. Mm. And I think we've touched on a little bit on why this is relevant to the AI Act because, I mean, it has to, you know, set out certain transparency requirements mm. and, you know, allow some explainability and stuff like that Yeah, going so, on. I mean, one of the requirements, I think I touched on it earlier, but one of the requirements for high-risk high risk systems, which, again, is all these problems are kind of intertwined because if the mm-hmm. scope wasn't so broad, then maybe this wouldn't be a big yeah. problem, but um, they require interpretability and in the, in the wording of the text. Um, and I've clarified with the commission that this wasn't the original. They don't. Re- that's not what they're really requiring. But because I don't, I think people didn't really understand the field that well. They didn't know that was what the wording meant to a, to a computer scientist, for instance. Uh, so I think it's just important that's that's clarified in the bill. Unfortunately, Parliament it's too late for Parliament to change their minds on this. But uh, the Czech Council, uh, in their latest proposals, have suggested changing this. So uh, there's still time to, for a fix. Yeah, and I think this speaks a bit like to the role of you know education too, because. Policymakers, as infallible as they are, are fallible, if that makes sense. Because And they need to be educated on what these newer systems and things happening in technologies actually mean and stuff like that. No, I think but it's yeah. it's really important. This is one of the reasons why I, I got into tech policy in the first place. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember sitting in a, in a philosophy class because um, I love thinking about the conceptual side of things, but then you sort of hear the class talk about uh, the, they they dip their toe in the in the business aspects of things. And you realize there's no there's no understanding there. And then I mean there's so, there's so many examples as well in uh, in politics. I mean famously in the Senate when they were um, interviewing Mark Zuckerberg, uh, they didn't understand the technical side of it. Yeah. And so I think this this dialogue between all these different stakeholders um, is super important and. Fortunately, in Brussels, it's pretty good. There's a lot of open dialogue. Everyone's willing to to listen to each other for the the most part. So as you say, with these questions and the questions of these super powerful general purpose systems, it is important to bring in the big companies, which is not a a popular thing to say around these corners, but it is important, yeah. 
And I think to briefly end up and, and talking about good dialogue between policymakers and companies and consumers, sandboxes. <laughs> the other boxes. I think that wraps it up well, right? Yeah. What is a sandbox and why, why is that important both now in terms mm. of time but also in terms of the AI, the AI Act? Well, yeah, it sounds, it sounds very fun in, indeed. <laughs> uh, so it's just a theoretical, well, not theoretical, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a controlled environment where regulators can oversee the um, pre-market uh, development of, of new and emerging technologies. And used well, it, it can be great. It has two parallel objectives. One is to give regulators insight into, into a new and emerging tech, to educate them and to feed back into a, a new proposal. Mm-hmm. But what should it look like based on what we've seen in this development? Uh, and But the other objective is to provide innovators with a safe environment to use tech that uh, regulators don't have experience regulating. So there's a sort of a big risk there for developers. And to prevent that risk, they, they give them the opportunity to, <laughs> to play around in a sandbox. Uh, the problem with the AI sandbox, which I suppose was the next question uh, coming, uh, is that they did the first bit very well. It's, it's set up in a way that the, uh, the member states, and I think there's now movements to, to make it mandatory in all the member states, um, we'll, we'll learn a lot from, from those who choose to participate uh, in, in the sandbox and we'll learn a lot about uh, these AI systems. Um, the problem is that the way it's set up is there won't be any participants because there are currently no uh, incentives for, for participants mm. to get involved. There isn't, there isn't that sort of regulatory relief or derogation from rules that makes sandboxes work. So you see in other countries like Germany, uh, well, there, I should say as well, there are about half the member states have their own sandboxes in the fields of finance, finance and ban- uh, banking, for instance. In Germany, in their um, automobile regulation, it's, it's not called automobile regulation, like, uh, road safety regulation, something like this. Um, yeah, they provide, uh, they updated it recently to, to have these sort of experimentation clauses, so which mean that uh, companies can enter their sandbox and uh, they, they can request like a derogation of rules in some way for some limited amount of time, just so you can have, for example, self-driving cars that can, that can yeah. experiment on the city kind of thing. So it's super important, especially for emerging tech. And AI is one of the best examples um, where this could be useful. And yeah, for us, it, the sandbox, the idea of having the sandbox as part of the AI uh, act is one of the uh, biggest positives of this bill. And we're really uh, hopeful that it's, they're going to get it right. Yeah, because I think it is nice to have one of those. Because, I mean, people always say in the American sense where, you know, more regulation, you know, it undermines innovation. And I think this is a good way to kind of, you know, counteract that in a, in a cooperative manner where you work hand in hand in a sense. But yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a regulatory tool that is pro-innovation. So yeah, we're, the, we're the sandbox is big enough for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is the other thing. At the moment, it, it is kind of, uh, I think there are privileges towards, or at least this is something that's being talked about. Uh, towards SMEs and um, yeah, I think it, it should be open to everyone. I think it should even be open to non-EU companies. Hmm. Uh, if it's one of the EU's goals uh, to you know, become a world leader in this space, it's important that they set the rules for everybody. Exactly, yeah. become the regulatory powerhouse, you know. <laughs> uh, so we went through a really rapid fire approach on what the AI Act is, its issues, and if you're still listening, thank you for sticking this out with us. <laughs> but I think we've been pretty concise about this. We've covered a lot of ground, but. Patrick, final thoughts. What do you think of the AI Act? Look, I'm a, I'm a proud European, and when you see um, this initiative from the EU, I, I think it, it is great. It's an it's a, it's a acknowledgement of this latest tech. I think it's, it's great that the, the, there's some initiative to um, provide legal clarity to a completely new and emergent tech. Um, and I think the risk-based approach is the right one. Um, I think if they want to do it 
even better than they proposed, <laughs> then I would, yeah, I think it, there's still a lot of amendments to go. But uh, yeah, from what I understand of the legislative conversation, that it's going in the right direction. Cool. Well, I think that kind of starts wrapping up a bit the substantive portion. And if they ever want to follow what you do, where can they find you? Yeah, well, they can find me uh, at uh, Patrick Grady underscore on Twitter. Uh, if if you have any sort of more technical questions, it's uh, pgrady at dataInnovation.org. Yeah, I'll drop those in the description. And I'm sure if you follow the data innovation uh, themselves, you'll see a bunch of interesting articles and stuff pop up on AI, which I certainly have in the past few days. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty more to come. I can promise yeah. you this. But before we end, I have you for a few seconds longer. So I always like to end on a more fun question, which is semi-related to the topic. But And I, th- I think you knew this was coming, but, but <laughs> given how, how I, I set this up in the beginning. But what's your favorite fictional AI? In a sense, which one has inspired you? <laughs> oh, good question. I'm actually going to, uh, if it's okay, I'm going to take a novel. I'm going to go for a novel. Go for it. Uh, there's a series of sci-fi novels called the Culture Novels. Hmm. And uh, yeah, they, they use AI. <laughs> I, I shouldn't really say because it's not going to help my cause in, in talking about regulatory matters, but they, uh, they sort of use a, a benign form of AI to, mm. to, to control culture. Um, but they always make me laugh because they, they have big dialogues between the AIs and that's quite enjoyable to read. <laughs> yeah, I've always loved, uh, you know, whenever they have like aliens coming to Earth and they're like talking to each other and it just seems so surreal because it's, it's something we really can't relate to, but... I guess maybe we can relate to computers because we are the creators. Yes, but. indeed, <laughs> but probably not to their eventual intelligence, as uh, some people <laughs> some people think. Fair enough. Well, I think we'll start wrapping this up here then. And, and thank you again for coming on. Please check out Patrick's work uh, in the description below. And yeah, if you, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, please subscribe. Um, if you want to be on this episode or know somebody who should be sharing their knowledge on the Brubble platform, please uh, shoot me an email, let me know as well. And I think that's about it. Hope you have a good day. Thank you very much for having me. Bye.